Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, we have a question for you, especially if you're of the male gender out there. Where do you get your haircut around here? I think we've asked this before and and literally no one cares. So we're going to ask again. (laughs) They don't want to answer. You know, that's okay. We're doing, I'm doing sport clips right now. At least for now, I'm going to try some guy in a, in Salina. Yeah. His name is Mr. Bill. He, he cuts at fly cuts in Salina. It's next to the cuts with a Z. I'm pretty sure. And two Y's actually. Oh, fly two Y's (laughs) cuts with a Z. Probably it's a small place next to the, what is it? A Baptist church? The one off of Preston. It's after, is it after the Kroger? No, I mean after the Berkshire. Anyway, he's small shop. I'm excited about it. I, I saw some of the pictures. Uh, I, I'm excited. I'm gonna give it a shot. Okay. Well, you got a free cut this past weekend. I did, man, yeah. dude. Danny Kim, so Abe Kim's brother, hooked it up. He came. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, do you want a free cut?" And I'm like, "You had me at free. Care what was after that? Would have taken it." And it was one of the best cuts I've had in he a long time. He did a good time. job. I'll, he he I'll, was I detailed. Vouch. It looks good. It was detailed. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I, it felt like right after, shortly after that I had, I had gotten a cut. And so I was like. Ah. I did too. I got one a week ago. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll just take another one. I'll just freshen up. All right. And it was definitely an upgrade. So is we need to get Danny to move out here is basically what it comes down to. Yeah. I kind of probed around a bit. He's committed to his church out there. Lighthouse Bible in, I think, San Diego oh, area. Yeah. I've heard good things. Yeah. So I don't want to take him away. He's doing good things. I'm I'm going to support that. That's fair. But I'm going to ask him to pray for another barber out here. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Hey, it is the 9th of uh, December. Yep, that's the month that we're in. Yep. It is Penny Rokas' birthday. Happy birthday, Penny. Happy birthday, Penny. Your name is one of my favorite songs from the Beatles. Penny. Penny Lane. Okay. She is six Oh, six. That's a sweet age, man. uh, Yeah, it is. It's a cute age. You're getting into two hands now to tell people how old you are. That's right. So... That's, happy birthday, Penny. Uh, yeah, We're happy grateful birthday. for you. We're grateful for you and your family. That's right. Well, hey, we are jumping into a brand new book in the Old Testament and uh, and a brand new book in the New Testament. See, Jose. Two new books. Jose and... Uh, Jose. Uh, yeah, okay. I just dropped the A. Yeah, well, it's, it's there, though. Well, you know what? Okay, but we call Jude, Jude, and that's not Jude's name. But that's what it's written as. That's in, what it's in written our, at in English, right. but that's not his name. Yeah, but this is Hosea, right? I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, but I'm just saying, if we could take liberties with Jude's name, I think Jose... You can't just give him a different name. Well, he doesn't care. It's not allowed. Okay. it's I'm throwing a flag on the play. Jude's name is Judas, just for the record. It's not Jude. It was a good change, though. It was a positive <laughs> The same is true for uh, James, right? His name's not, his name's not James. Yeah. Uh, I forget what his name is, but it's not. It's Jacob. Yeah. yeah. James' name is Jacob. Jacob. That's what it is. And yeah. he was changed in honor of King James. Yep. Yeah. At least that's what that's what I've heard. I could go be wrong on that. King James. But yeah, his name was given to him as Jacob. Yeah. See? There you go. If they could change name, that's a pretty big difference too. <laughs> so I'm going to call Jose, uh, Jose. Let's not though. Okay. Yeah. In front of you, I won't. Uh, just throw the uh on there. It's not even, it's just, it's not even that hard. Jose. Uh. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Hosea. Where did he come from? Who is he? What's going on? Uh, remember, this is uh, now that we're getting into minor prophets. By the way, he's the first of, of 12 minor prophets that we have. Um, we are chronologically going to be jumping around quite a bit. And so Hosea, we're backing up to shortly before the fall of the northern kingdom, the fall of Israel uh, to Assyria. By the way, when we get into talking about Jonah, some cool things going on right now archaeologically 
in Israel and in the Middle East oh. with uh, with Assyria and Nineveh in particular that uh, I'm excited to talk about when we get there. So uh, stay tuned because some pretty cool things going on oh. over there that have to do with biblical characters and that uh, was a teaser confirmation of wow. the Bible. Okay, archaeologically speaking, but I was there. Hosea is uh, prophesying really to both the north and the south, though pre- predominantly to the north. Um, he is uh, he at one point calls that the king of Israel refers to him as as our king, and so he's he's dealing with uh, the northern kingdom. If you're looking for when is this taking place in the corpus of Scripture, Second uh, Kings fifteen through twenty, Second Chronicles twenty six through thirty two, that kind of that time frame is when this book is addressing the events. And Hosea, man, he he's got a rough go at it. I mean, a lot of the prophets have, you, you think about Isaiah, Isaiah was told, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to send you. They're not going to listen to you. You think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Hey, Jeremiah, you're going to, you're going to be mute for part of the time. You're going to open your mouth. They're going to hate you. They're going to, they're going to beat you. They're going to throw you in, in, uh, in these cisterns. Then you get into, uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was, was, uh, just seeing all these fantastic visions. You got Daniel who was in exile. Man, Hosea didn't have it any easier. The word of the Lord shows up to him right now and says, Hey, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And uh, I don't know about you, Pastor Rob, but that wasn't high on my list of things when I was looking for a wife. Well, I wonder though, because the text doesn't call her a prostitute. So wife of whoredom. So that that's, that seems pretty, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's aggressive, but maybe that's it fair. was a woman who just was very unfaithful, yeah. which is another way to talk because I, that's kind of the whole analogy, right? It's meant to convey Israel's relationship to God. She wasn't a prostitute per se, but she was very unfaithful. She could be like the woman at the well then. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Still not, uh, still not an easy call. Not an easy call. Yeah. And the reason he does this, as the rest of the book bears out, is because of what you just said. This is representative of how Israel has acted towards God. And uh, and this is a, we talked about it in Ezekiel because he did it quite a few times there. But this is another image. This is another parable, living parable that God uses to uh, to communicate to his people the dangers that they're in. And this is through the, the marriage, not only of Hosea and Gomer, but also of their children. And their children receive these unique names that have everything to do with how God is interacting with his, uh, his people. And so he has these children with, with uh, Gomer. One of them in chapter one is called No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. Another one is called Not My People, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Um, though then in verse 10 he says, yet this is not going to be the full end. And so there, there's this balance of, hey, judgment's coming. But even for you, northern tribes, th- this is not going to be the full end of you. There is a remnant that will still be preserved through it. So in chapter one, he's opening up just kind of saying, hey, Assyria is going to come. Uh, this is going to be bad because of, of your unfaithfulness. And uh, and this is what, how I'm going to start to think of you. I'm not going to have mercy on you and you're not going to be my people. So one interesting tidbit here that I rec- recognize is that when God calls us to do hard things, uh, especially when he calls us to hard suffering, as in the case of Jose here, uh, that doesn't mean that he's unhappy with us. In fact, to the contrary, it is because of Jose's relationship to God. It's because of his privileged position with God that he calls him to suffer enormously. Right. Now, I'm not going to say this or that about your particular suffering, but there should be at least a sense of encouragement to recognize that it's not the sinners necessarily who go through the path of difficulty or as David calls it in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. So let's start off recognizing here that some of the godliest people in the scriptures are the men who suffer the most. If you're suffering, you're in good company. Rest assured, God will carry you through it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's helpful, and that, and that's a message that that keeps with what Jesus said. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, and and uh, even later on, Peter said, "Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if something strange were happening to you." This is a, a mark of of faithfulness to the Lord as we live as strangers and aliens in this world. Indeed. Chapter two, then it wasn't just a passive uh, message that he was just going to marry this woman of unfaithfulness, and that was going to be the, all the message. He was going to speak. Um, and he's supposed to say to them, and he's supposed to say to them, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Now that one, verse one in chapter two should really probably go with what he's just been talking about at the end of chapter one, rather than where he goes after this. Agreed. So I don't think verse one goes with the rest of chapter two. I think it goes with the, the encouragement that God is still going to have a future for Israel. Starting in verse two though, hey, now God is bringing the, the boom. He's bringing the charge and he's telling Hosea to tell them, look, Israel, you are no longer my wife and I am not your husband. I mean, God is saying, he's, he's using covenant language here of, of marriage to say, I'm disavowing my marital status with you, so to speak. And, uh, and that suggests the intimacy, the care, the protection, uh, the shelter, uh, the, just the relationship in general. God is saying, I am, I'm, don't, don't come at me anymore and refer to me as your God. And, and think about, uh, we've, we've seen situations in the past where God has said, look, I'm, I'm tired of your burnt offerings. I'm tired of your, your going through the motions. Your heart is far from me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so God's just saying here, I'm, I'm done with it. And upon you and your descendants, your children, I'm going to have no more mercy anymore. They are children of unfaithfulness, children of whoredom, and I'm I'm not going to put up with it any longer. And so in chapter two, the message is really unfolding uh, in earnest against Israel here. This is the, the opening charge, so to speak, of the prophet. Note here in verses six and seven, God makes it really hard for Israel to sin. I think that's that's an incredible act of his grace and mercy that we often don't take for what that is. Uh, not always, but often God will divert our attention, divert our resources away from that which is evil in order to pursue us and produce in us a righteous inclination. And he'll do that as in the case of Israel. He says, I'm going to hedge up her way with thorns. That is, I'm going to make it harder for her to sin. I'm going to, I'm going to make it difficult for her to do evil. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. And the paths, of course, are to her, her lovers, the ones that she wants to seek and overtake. That's an interesting insight. God does do this with us. Even today, as Christians especially, he's interested in hedging us against doing evil. If you find yourself encountering resistance in areas that you previously did not, perhaps God is trying to put you on, on the right path. He still does this. That's interesting. I, I read that a different way, I guess. I read that in verse 7 of the, the judgment of she's still pursuing, she's still going after them and yet not finding satisfaction. Well, indeed she is. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you there. She's trying to, but God's not making an easy go of it for her. Yeah. He's, I think he's exactly, he's hedging her up. He's guarding her from these things as an act of his mercy. He's not letting her go full bore. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. And in verse eight, it, uh, or end of verse seven, it may seem like this is an encouraging thought when she says, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. But this is really not the right motivation uh, here. He, she's she's going back, but but not for the right reasons. Because look at verse eight. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain. And so the judgment is still being poured out here. This is not repentance. This is not reconciliation taking place. This is, I think, Israel in the, the throes of judgment, realizing that she was wrong. And yet there's still judgment being poured out upon her. 100% agree. This is 2 Corinthians 7 repentance. It yeah. is a worldly repentance, a worldly sorrow that leads to death and not the kind of godly sorrow that leads to life. Right, right. 
end of chapter two, you get another glimpse of the fact that God is still going to be merciful on his people Israel, that this what? is going to be a full end. What? And, and this is unique even because we think about that when it comes to Judah, the southern kingdom. And we think, oh, yeah, of course, because descendant of David, you know, so forth and so on, that Jesus is going to come from Judah. But even the northern tribes, God still is going to have a future for them, that he's not done with them, that he's still going to bring them back. And, and look at verse 16. There's, there's this full restoration even. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. And so there, God at one, at one point said, I'm not going to be your husband anymore. But here he's saying uh, that relationship will be again restored. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. So that future hope for Israel is there. Chapter three, then uh, Hosea's wife goes away from him and is unfaithful to him again. And the God And God shows up and tells him, hey, you need to go back and take her back. And, uh, and talk about difficult again, here you have, his wife has been unfaithful to him, um, after everything that he's done to provide for her, care for her, everything else. And he's supposed to go in and take her back and even woo her back, uh, which is, a, 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 a difficult proposition to say the least. Right. So there's white space between chapter two and three. And in that white space, you should read, she's gone out to go be unfaithful with whoever and whatever. In fact, it seems like given some of the language here that she in some way sold herself to somebody or mm-hmm. tied herself to some kind of legal contractual obligation that requires him to actually give something to redeem her, which right. also is very illustrative in God's relationship to Israel. Right. Right. So chapter four, then again, the, uh, the, the, indictment against Israel uh, on the heels of this when he charges and says, look at there in verse one, there's no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. Jump down to verse six. That theme is picked up again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. Again, this is not because they were ignorant, but because they were willfully ignorant. They did not listen to the priests who were faithful back when they were faithful. They did not listen to the prophets. They did not listen to the calls for repentance. They chose instead a path of ignorance and they were going to suffer for their lack of knowledge. Man, that that's that's important for us to think about today when we look around our culture and, and see so much of what's happening to the church today. I think I'm, I'm, we're not here to name names necessarily, but there are a lot of churches out there where this is kind of perpetuating itself again, where people are gathering and, and they're they're staying an inch deep and, and they're kind of happy in their ignorance, so to speak, and living their life and, and wanting to accept all people as they are and we're welcoming and we're this, that, and the other thing. And 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 God is up there going, Hey, you're gonna you're gonna suffer. You're gonna die for lack of knowledge. And the knowledge is there. In fact, all of us have it with the with the word of God. So we can personalize this to a certain extent to say, man, we need to be taking seriously the the responsibility that we have to whom much is given, much will be required. We've been given much in the scriptures. Are we giving ourselves over to the study of it? Or is God one day going to look at us and say, you're in trouble for your lack of knowledge. I gave you everything that you needed and you chose to stay ignorant in that. What an embarrassment of riches we have too. We have so many different translations and so many different options. I can't imagine God holding the bar low for us because of that access. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so available. And yet so often, as Spurgeon said it you know, 200 years ago, there's enough dust on most people's Bibles to write the word damnation across the top mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. because they, even then in the 18th century or uh, seven, 19, however that works, <laughs> the 1800s, people weren't reading their Bible and Spurgeon right. saw that as a problem even back then. And we still continue to see that as pastors today in 2023, we totally. still see people struggling to do this. And yet it's one of the most profound changes that could happen in the life of a Christian to be a man or a woman of the word, to know the truth of God, to not forget his law, but to to put it in their hearts, as Psalm 119 says. Completely agree. Yeah. And, and in fact, it, y'all, you're, 
your phones. You can download the Bible in less than a gig. Think about that. You can download the entirety of the revealed word of God and it takes up less than a gig on your phone, far less than a gig on your phone in an app that's free. Like we literally have no excuse. There are nice apps too. We have no excuse yeah. not to be in the word of God. You go wherever you go and you wait in line for whatever you wait in line for. Pull your phone out and rather than open up social media, open up the ESV, read the Bible, read the word of God in your car as you're driving places rather than listening to another podcast on true crime or whatever it is. Put on the Dwell Bible app that we've talked about. Listen to the Word of God. Have that intake. And you may be sitting there going, okay, but am I going to see radical changes right away? Over time, yeah, 100% mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. The more of God's Word that you take in, the Spirit is going to use that and apply that and shape that and mold that in your life. And if, if nothing else, you want to be able to stand before Christ on the judgment day at the Bema seat and say, I was... I took advantage of the, the knowledge that you provided. Man, I think you hit a, a, a good application point there. There's so many things. I mean, in addition to the Bible, we do have the Bible, but man, there's so many good things available, so tantalizing, so exciting, so enjoyable that are on our devices as apps or podcasts or whatever else. Those There's so many distractions, man. But yeah. uh, hey, if you're listening to this podcast, in some ways we're preaching to the choir and we're encouraging you, hey, great job. Don't slow down. Right. Go even further. Excel still more. Yeah. End of chapter four, uh, the prophet or God through the prophet says, Hey, leave Judah alone in all this, by the way, not that Judah was innocent, but uh, there was the idea of, Hey, don't, don't continue to pollute Judah. Although we're going to see as the book continues to unfold that that doesn't necessarily uh, go very well for Judah there. So Hmm. speaking of Jude, uh, uh, let's flip over to the book that's called the book of Judas Jude. That's his name. That's his real name. Judas. Yeah. Well, so another new book in the New Testament. We're in the short books before we hit Revelation, and then we're in Revelation for the rest of the year together. So, um, yeah, Jude. Jude is a letter all about confronting apostasy. What is apostasy? Apostasy is falling away from the faith. Now, is someone who is saved ever going to fall away from the faith? No, we've talked about that. In fact, we've talked about that recently in the book of First Peter and others where there's eternal security for the believer in Christ. A true believer can never commit apostasy. Apostasy is reserved for those that are not true believers, though professing. They would say, I am, but they're not genuinely in their relationship with Jesus, and they end up falling away. And there's judgment that is is threatened and warned for those that would be in that uh, that boat. And really, the church is confronted here, and, and Jude opens right away saying, I'm appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered for the saints. I was reading one commentary that, that made an interesting point there. They said this was most, most likely written uh, late 60s, but probably before 70 AD in the destruction of the temple, just because there's there's no mention of that and uh, and no no reference to that anywhere. So, But probably late 60s to potentially early 70 AD here. What, what's so interesting and what this commentator said is, is he said most of the apostles and the original disciples, save for John, were gone at this point. And in their place, there had arisen this this crop of false teachers that were following, like Paul used to say, man, everywhere I go, there's false teachers that follow behind me and want to pervert what I've been in there teaching. And so there's an urgency here. And I think we get that with Jude saying, hey, I wanted to write to you about how great the gospel is, but you know, I, instead I got to write to you about, we got to contend, we got to fight, we got to stand up, we got to be on guard here, church. Right. Amen to that. <laughs> there's so many things about this this little book that I admire and love. And, and one of the, the one, okay, so you talked about the apostasy, about avoiding being caught up in the lies of and the web of those who pursue weak Christians. This is comforting to me. Check, uh, t- check it out. Verse number one, 
He talks to those who are called beloved in God the Father, and here's the cool word, kept, kept for Jesus Christ. You'll notice that's a, that's a passive word, something that's happening to us. We're kept for Jesus Christ. But that word reappears in a different form in verse 21. Jude tells us, uh, Judas, Jude tells us, keep yourselves in the love of God. The responsibility now shifts from something that's happening to you to something that you're to do. You have a responsibility to remain kept, as it were. But he doesn't keep you there. Verse 24, jump down there. You'll see in verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. It is the one who has kept us. It is through the spirit that he keeps you and he continues to keep you all the way to the very end. So if apostasy scares you, maybe you see big time Christians who leave the faith and they do despicable things, or maybe you have friends who used to be Christian and no longer are. Maybe you're concerned that you're going to fall away too. That's not to say that you have no responsibility here. You do, but rest assured, it is God who's doing the keeping. As John MacArthur likes to say, if you could lose your salvation, you would. You would. Yeah, well, hey, let's deal with something that's a little bit uh, problematic here. There's one illusion and then one direct quote to uh, the the pseudepigraphal books. Um, you've got uh, specifically First Enoch here. Uh, when he quotes there, he says in verse 14, it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Uh, this is a, a, a quote from the book First Enoch. First Enoch is what we call part of the pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha means that we are, it's a false writing, pseudo false pigrapha or pigraphy, the, the false author, false, false authorship. So this is somebody professing to be the author that's not truly the author of that book. What's unique is that Jude writes as though this quotation is from Enoch, the one that walked with God and was no more. So what do we do with that? Well, it's it's p- potential that this was a saying that was passed down from generation to generation, that generation to generation, that that was truly from Enoch, that the pseudepigraphal writer that wrote First Enoch picked up and included. And so Jude is saying, yeah, this is written in First Enoch, but we we do know that Enoch actually said this. The other comfort that we have is Jude was writing under the guidance and inspiration of the Spirit. And so as Jude is writing this, he is led to to say that this is something that Enoch said so that under the inspiration of the Spirit, we can have comfort and confidence in that. So does that mean we run out to the pseudepigrapha and pick up all the books of the pseudepigrapha and read them as though they are authoritative? The answer to that question would be, well, no, right? Because this is an albatross. In other words, this is not something that is common. Uh, Jesus nowhere quotes from the pseudepigrapha. You've got none of the other major writings quoting from the pseudepigrapha. This is a unique situation here in the book of Jude where the author chooses to appeal to these things uh, within the context of the purpose that he's writing for. Right. And that's not to say that you couldn't find some value in reading them. There's probably a time and a place where it would make sense for you to put it in your reading diet. But I would venture to guess that for most of you listening, it's not going to be the best use of your time. It's not going to be at where you are in your current spiritual development. So I would suggest to you, maybe put this on your shelf as a book to read at some point, uh, you know, to, to get through the pseudepigrapha, the apocrypha, th- that could be helpful to you. But where you are will determine what would be best in terms of your reading diet. As you prepare for the end of the year, start thinking about goals for the next, there's a lot of books that you probably want to read before this. One last thing to note here, look at verse 22. I've, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garden stained by, garment stained by flesh. Mm. Here you have three groups here that Jude references. Number one, the doubters. These are the ones that are genuinely doubting. They're, they have questions. They're, they're wondering, is the gospel really true? The second group there are those that are early committed to false teaching. These are ones that like are, are flirting with the false teaching, the false doctrine out there. So maybe they're, 
they're engaged in Mormonism, they're reading about Mormonism, they're reading about Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever it may be. And, and our job there is to snatch them from the fire. It's to bring them back from the danger. They're, they're in peril and we need to grab them back. And then the third group we need to be careful with, and that is those that are full-blown committed. They are within the sect, within the cult, within the false teaching, and even pro- possibly proponents of that false teaching. And we need to, with fear, making sure that, that we're not tainted or stained by the false teaching itself, we need to do everything that we can to show mercy on them. And in other words, we, we even need to pursue them with the gospel, like Pastor Rod was talking about the, in one of our last episodes of, of the Jehovah's Witnesses coming to his door and knocking on the door. Hey, we, we're going to engage, we're going to share the gospel, but we're also going to realize, man, they are in the throes and the grip of a very, very dark force in the false teaching they're following. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of our conversation in First John chapter 5 about the sin that leads to death, the kind of apostasy and approach to God that is like, oh, this is tough, man. What do I do with this? This is, again, another situation where we're going to encourage you, as we did in First John 5, to pray. Pray for the person and pray that the Spirit would give you guidance on how to approach that friend, that neighbor, that relative, whoever it is that is going that direction that Jude warns about. You got it, guys. Hey, join us again tomorrow as we pick back up in Jose uh, and uh, start the book of Revelation. See you guys then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.